Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, that's a little bit loud, thank you. Scares me. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there, is, there, if, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Now please take note of verse 19. If in this life only, and I want to repeat that phrase, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If I were to stand before you today and declare that the Christian faith is utter nonsense, most of you would be heading to the door, especially on this weekend. But please hear me out. Don't get up. So if I were to declare to you the Christian faith is utterly non or utter nonsense, I would add that it is a huge mass of inconsistencies. It is a conglomeration of all that is absurd. It is ridiculous. It is incomprehensible. It is contradictory. It is unbelievable and incredible and patently false. I would then have to present some sort of proof. For instance, statements made by the founder himself, Jesus of Nazareth. For he said in Luke 9, verse 24, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. And then in Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Or in Luke 6, verses 20 through 22, where Jesus said, where it says of him, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, or he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed be the poor, or blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. How many of these things make sense to the natural mind? Now, now that's the whole key here of what I'm saying today. It's what the natural mind thinks of the things that the Bible teaches, and the things that Jesus said. You go back on that list, whoever will save his life shall lose it. What does that mean? Or whoever will be great, let him be your servant. Let him be your minister. And if you're going to be chief, you've got to be the servant. Well, that's not the way the world works, is it? And then all of this stuff about, you know, blessed are the poor. Are they really blessed? 
Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Makes no sense to the natural mind. Verses 27 and 28 of the same chapter in Luke. Jesus said, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. That's definitely contradictory to the way the world thinks. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Do these things make any sense to the natural humanistic mind? Add to this confusing list the fact that the followers of Jesus behave in ways that make no sense at all. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and after Pentecost, after the day that the church had received the power of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they went about preaching in the name of Jesus. And doing marvelous things, doing miraculous things in the power of God and of Christ through the Spirit. And the Jewish religious leaders, they, they, they gathered uh, the apostles together. They, they spoke to them. They, they even mistreated them and beat them and told them not to preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And we pick up in Acts chapter 5 verse 40 where it says to him that they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Who rejoices after they get beat up? Who rejoices? But then, in verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house... They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Just because these religious leaders told them not to preach in the name of Christ, they realize something. There's a higher law than man's law. It's the name of Jesus. And with all of this before us today, permit me to conclude that only the resurrection can make sense of these teachings and this kind of behavior. Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ can make sense of these teachings and this kind of behavior. Because without the resurrection, nothing about Christianity makes any sense whatsoever. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So consider, if you will, that before the resurrection, Jesus' own disciples didn't understand him. They really didn't. And the Bible tells us that pretty clearly. For example, in Mark 9, verses 31 and 32... For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Is that the look? No, it was like. Because in verse 32 it says, But they understood not. They understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. They didn't want to open their mouth. Don't say anything. I don't understand what he's saying. And then in Luke 9, verses 43 through 45, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God, but while they wondered everyone at all things, uh, they wondered everyone at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, verse 44, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. So they wondered at the things he did, but then when, they, when he spoke, we're told in verse 45, but they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. You jumped out to Luke chapter 18, verse 34. I know I'm going very fast here, but 
The idea is, is, is just to bring up the fact that there are so many times that the scriptures tell us that the disciples had no clue of what Jesus came to do. They understood none of these things, it says. And, say, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And in John chapter 10, verse 6, when Jesus was telling them about the great shepherd, who he was, he was the great shepherd, and his sheep would hear his voice because they knew, they, you know, he, he was known by, they knew him and he was known by them. He, they would hear his voice, the good shepherd. A stranger would speak and they, and they won't respond to, the shepherd, to that person because they responded only to the voice of the shepherd. With that in mind, you think, well, that, that's understandable. But in John chapter 10, verse 6, it says, This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. They don't understand. But folks, you feel that way sometimes too when you read the Bible, right? There are times when you read and you just don't understand. But this is a common thread throughout the Gospels. The 12 disciples who were with Jesus for the better part of three years, who listened to his teaching, who observed his miracles, who watched his life day in and day out, it is the consistent witness of the New Testament that prior to the resurrection, these 12 men had only a very hazy idea of who Jesus was and what he was doing. They were continually misinterpreting his teaching, asking questions which appeared to us to be incredibly dense and dull-witted. But there are two possibilities here. Either Jesus had by stroke of incredibly bad luck, and of course we don't believe in luck, but either Jesus had by a stroke of incredibly bad luck, chosen as his disciples the 12 most clueless men in Galilee, or that something was missing, a key that would unlock the meaning and significance of Jesus' life and teachings. That key, that thing, if you will, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may I say to you that the resurrection makes, Christ, makes the Christian faith make sense. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes the Christian faith make sense. And we know this through the apostles as well. We know this through the disciples. For instance, when Jesus was in Jerusalem in, in uh, John chapter 2, when he goes there for the feast and, and, and he goes into the temple proper and, and uh, he sees the tables of the money changers there and he overturns those tables. And all of this is happening in the, in the presence of his disciples. And was wondering about the things that he was saying. One, one statement stands out. It's in John 2, verse 22, where it says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, <clears throat> his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. It would take the resurrection for them to finally come to understand. And what was it that Jesus had said? Go back to verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He wasn't talking about the temple made, by, made with hands by stone or made by, sto uh, by hands with stone. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his body. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
It wasn't until the resurrection that they said, oh, now we get it. Pow! Right? Or you go to John chapter 12. The chapter where Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And the people are laying palm leaves before him. And shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the disciples are looking at all of this. And we're told in verse 16 of John 12, These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, which is when? After the resurrection. Then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The things that they had done to put him on the cross to die. But it wasn't just the disciples' understanding that changed. There was a dramatic change in their behavior because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Before the resurrection... <coughs> Excuse me, <clears throat> they were, before the resurrection, these men were spineless cowards who scattered when Jesus was arrested. But please, don't think we wouldn't have been. They would be the first to admit that that's what they were. But then again, that's what we would have been too. Choosing to save their own skin rather than remain loyal to their master. How many times did Peter say he would protect the Lord and the Lord says, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. You haven't got it yet. Peter later would emphatically deny that he even knew Jesus. The very same one who said, I'll protect you. You're going to have to go through me. Right? None of the twelve even asked for his body to bury it. It was Joseph of Arimathea. But after the resurrection, after the resurrection, they became bold and courageous. They, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, of course, but nonetheless, they became bold and courageous. And they, they suffered arrest, and they suffered harassment. They suffered torture and execution after the resurrection. You may have heard someone give an opinion at some time. That it doesn't really matter whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead in the physical. I, I can tell you this. I, I have actually heard preachers from pulpits. Preachers with a lot of, 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 uh, of letters behind their name, you know. One degree after another behind their name. Received in cemeteries all across, I mean seminaries all across the world. Doubting that there was ever a resurrection to begin with. Doubting that there was a virgin birth. But there they are saying, you know, it isn't so much the, the physical resurrection of Jesus that matters. The important thing is what he taught and how he lived. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I direct your attention once again to our text, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, if in this life only... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, 
And we just want to pattern our lives really nicely and do nice things and be good and blah, 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 and this and that. If in this life only. Without a resurrection is, is the implication that Paul is making. Without a resurrection, if in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. And many translations have, have interpreted that as, as being we are of all men most to be pitied. The reality is we are of all men most miserable because there is a life after death. Think for a moment. Think about this for a moment. Without the resurrection, it isn't just Christianity that makes no sense. Life itself would make no sense. Point one, criminals will avoid paying for their crimes. Those unjustly accused will never be vindicated. If there's no resurrection. I mean, let's face it, how many people, how many people go to prison today and run things from prison? And a person who really struggles with his taxes, you know. I'm saying that because tax season's just around the corner. And, 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 and maybe made some mistakes along the way or maybe just couldn't make it to make the payment and all. And boy, you know, the government comes down once they find out. Somebody's just trying to be a good person, but they haven't done the, th you know, they might be unjustly accused of something. They'll never be vindicated. There's no resurrection. Why? Understand what, what, where we're getting at. Understand where we're going with this. Criminals will, will, not, will avoid paying for their crimes. Where? Where it matters the most in eternity if there's no resurrection. And those who are unjustly accused, they'll never be vindicated. Let's look at the second point. Those who achieve success and power by lying and cheating, they'll rest in peace. And will have the same fate as those who suffered for doing the right thing. We might say, where's the justice in that? Maybe this will make it even clearer. Sin and virtue. Look at how diametrically opposed those two things are. Sin and virtue. What about good and evil? What about honor and treason? What about faithfulness and treachery? All of them will have the same result. What is it? The stillness of death. Death comes and, well, we're all the same. We get put in a grave. That's all done. But what difference does the resurrection make? What difference does the resurrection make? Is it just as simple as, you know, if, if people are getting away with things, it might make a per good person say, you know what, I've, I've struggled all my life. I think I'll try to get away with things because if the end result is just death, then that's all that matters. I'll do what I can while I'm alive. And when I'm dead, the light goes out and that's it. There's no heaven. There's no hell. Thank you, John Lennon. What difference does the resurrection make? Very quickly, a few points. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us, gives us, us who believe, the promise of resurrection. It gives us the promise of resurrection. If he has power over sin and death on our behalf, and we believe, then that resurrection 
has opened the door for our resurrection. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. He'll raise us up as well. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise those who believe. And there are many, many other verses of Scripture, I know. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the promise of forgiveness. The promise of forgiveness. We can be forgiven. And not just for this life, but forever. And Paul tells us in Romans 4, verses 23 through 25, he says, Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. In other words, our sins were placed upon Jesus but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's verse 24. And then he says in verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So to be justified, this, this is where, where forgiveness comes in. You know, we, uh, we're justified in the sense that as if we've come to, to know Christ and the blessing of, of his blood has been up, placed upon us and, and we're cleansed of our sins. Well, that's, that's the point of the, the blood being shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We are justified as if we never sinned. That's the, the understanding of what Christ did for us. But to make it more clear, we just look at Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 7, where Paul says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved. And then in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then it says, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. A lot of people, both believer and non-believer, but a lot of uh, people just living in life, going through their lives, we, we don't know the, you know, the, 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 the weight of the burden of, of, of just wanting to be somewhat forgiven about things, but not knowing where to go and not knowing what to do. That may have been many of us at one point in time in our lives. That we didn't know, you know, we, we had done things and we, we, we carried them, you know, with us. We could have gotten very hard, but most of the time, there, there was that struggle to say, you know, I, I wish I had forgiveness. I, I wish I could somehow feel cleaner than I am. And Jesus so clearly says, come to me. All you that labor with that and are heavy laden with that burden of guilt. And I'll give you rest. The rest that we all needed before we came to Christ was a rest from that weight of sin and the weight of guilt. Thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives life meaning and purpose. Because all does not end at death. This is the thought of the natural mind. Everything ends at death. This is what the, you know, the, the major evolutionists today, the great scientists who say, that, well, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, as far as a God out there. We've looked in every uh, telescope out into the deepest regions of everything created that we can see, and, and we don't find a God out there. 
And then you take a handful of believers in Jesus Christ. And you take them outside. Okay, look beyond the smog. And you take them outside and, you, and they look up at the stars and they say, isn't our God great? Placed every star in place and they're always in the same place, you know. And then as the, as the earth rotates and then we have a summer sky and we have a winter sky. Summer sky, we see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and the North Star. And in the winter sky, we see Orion and all these other things. And then there are all kinds of constellations where God gives us the story of all of what's taken place. Isn't God great? And he created it all. The perspective are we going to trust and believe? Because if we trust and believe that there's a God, then we know that all does not end at death. The evolutionist says, you know, we're just, we're just a little blue dot. And, you know, life is really meaningless. And if you're told life is really meaningless, and it really doesn't matter if we have law enforcement, it really doesn't matter if we have, you know, if we have morals and values, it really doesn't. We're almost at that place where people are living that way anyway. What does it mean? What does it matter? But I want you to hear the words of Jesus again because it does matter. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Now, how much is all? All. All who are in the graves, which means every person that's in a grave somewhere, the grave might not be a hole in the ground, it may be in a little urn, or it may be out and you know, scattered in the sea or whatever, but it's a grave nonetheless, and all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Jesus is saying this, so it's got to be true. He says, the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation, which means there is a resurrection. But on which side will you be? And by the way, the good that is mentioned here is not about being good to be saved because no one is good enough to be saved. No one is. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good. Just ask the Jewish people who believed at one point in time in their lives that they, all they had to do was keep all 602 uh, laws that are, that are pinpointed out of the Scriptures and if you can just keep them, you know, then, but who can, I can't even keep one, you know. It's like man couldn't keep one. Remember the garden? Oh, only one commandment. There was a book, one commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day that you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you'll die. <laughs> One commandment, they broke it. It's not about good. But what is the good that he's speaking of? The good that Jesus speaks of in verse 29 refers to, the, to believing in him as the Messiah, to believing in him as the Lord and the Savior, the Redeemer. 
brings us to that great passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth not whosoever does all kinds of good things and outweighs the bad things in his life. No, whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Through Him, we are saved through Him, not by our good works. Verse 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Stop there and just think. If you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He came to die on the cross for our sins, that He rose again from the dead, if you believe this with all your heart, you're not condemned. But notice the rest of the verse. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is the good that Jesus spoke of then? It is in believing. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That is just so obvious about this life anyway. We've gone from darkness to light. We've gone from death to life. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That's the good. He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought or they are worked or fashioned. In God. Fashioned in God. God. Not you. Not me. We don't save ourselves. And by the way, no church saves you either. Because the Bible is clear. Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Do you live in a way that seems strange to those who do not believe? If not, perhaps you haven't fully grasped and embraced the significance of the resurrection. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, then nothing matters. Then nothing matters. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, we got all dressed up for nothing. Yeah, I mean, hey, folks, you, you know me. I just, you know. Look how nice that is. Oh. <laughs> if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, then nothing matters. But if it is true, it changes everything. And you know what? You who are a believer, you can declare, my life has changed because Jesus rose from the dead. My life has changed. Has it changed you? No death, no resurrection. No resurrection. No hope. No hope for eternal life. 
we do have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ and in his finished work. He's still alive. And he's coming again. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, gather you together unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Isn't that a wonderful promise? This is why we need to heed the words of Jesus when he said, keep looking up and lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption is near. So keep looking up. You have nothing to keep your head down on because you see, I'm coming. And I'm coming for you. Some of you have suffered a lot. But when I come, you won't suffer anymore. See, there's a promise. Some people die in their suffering. Some people die in their afflictions without any hope. Whether we die or God gathers us up together in the rapture of the church, that's our hope. All suffering will be gone. And life continues because Jesus is alive. So if you are not sure when you came in here today, about these things. But now, the Lord that we believe in and trust in has opened your eyes. I would encourage you that on this precious day, even though every day is precious in the Lord, and every day is the day of resurrection, but on this day that all the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it would be a wonderful day for you to say yes to Jesus. And say to him, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. And I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and the earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. I'll still cling to that work that you, Jesus, did for me. Because I will be living forever praising you before your throne. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand. Well, by the way, we're not done singing. We have a little time left. We're going to do a little more singing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the blessing of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, for sending your Son. I thank you for the cross because without it, there's no death, and without death, there is no resurrection, and without resurrection, there is no hope. And I pray, Father, for those today who, who need you and, and come to the realization now, not because of my persuasion, but I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you've spoken to their heart.
for the hearts of those here who need you. That they might respond at the end of this worship time that we're going to have just to come up here and have someone pray with them, encourage them, and receive them into your kingdom. Lord, is, is the blessing we desire so much. So, Father, I pray that in this day, we all will continue to thank you for the great power of your resurrection and how it has lifted us, Lord, to heights beyond our understanding. But Lord, one day we will see you as you are and we will be with you forever. This is a hope that can be sure of, that we can be sure of until the day of Christ. And we ask, Lord, your blessing upon the hearts who need you now to move upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.